0: You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village, or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com.
1: Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, I invite you to turn in your Bibles if you have one this morning. If you don't, you can stop by the connect desk. Uh we'll gift one to you, uh, otherwise the words will be on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away yet let no one contend and let none accuse for with you is my contention o priest you shall stumble by day the prophet also shall stumble with you by night and i will destroy your mother my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge i reject you from being a priest to me and since you have forgotten the law of your god i also will forget your children the more they increase the more they send against me and i will change their glory into shame they feed on the sin of my people they are greedy for their iniquity and it shall be like people like priests i will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds this is god's word
0: you can have a seat and the kids can now be dismissed to their class hopefully that's encouraging enough for the day My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. I want to pray and then we'll uh, we'll jump into that. We're actually looking at all of chapter 4 today. We just read the first nine verses, but we'll kind of tease all of it out. And so this week, when you're like looking for some encouragement throughout the week, hop into uh, Hosea chapter 4 and, and see what you get into. God, thanks so much for for your presence, for your provision, for all that you give us, but but just most of all for for loving us in spite of us, um, you don 't need us, we need you, and yet you pursue us that we might be yours. What a gift and joy it is to just sit in a room like this, week after week, and on on days like today, after a full week and a full weekend and knowing that there's uncertain stuff ahead and all the things, would you just let us orient our hearts and our minds and even the work of our hands around you this morning? Thank you for, for loving us and thank you that you warn us by, by showing us the accusation and the judgment against your faithless people in Hosea and, and God, would you bring the, the same truths that were true for them? Would you bring those truths into our own hearts and minds and lives today? Would you confront us where we need confronted? Would you conform us where we need conformed? Would you comfort us where we need comforted? In Christ alone, amen. There's this line in this passage that says, like people, like priests. That's that's a tough truth for God's people in this text. In the Old Testament, the the priests were the mediators between God and man. They were the ones who sacrificed uh, for kind of temporary relief from the burden of sin. They were the ones that that taught the word. And so they were the the go-between in many instances. Um, Eugene Peterson, he says it this way. He says, you can't tell the priest from the people. So it's saying... Man, this is, this is an indictment. Not even those charged to lead the way to a life with God. You, there, you couldn't tell them apart from just anybody on the street. There's the, the, uh, several sayings but that, that go something like this. As leaders go, so go the people leaders who forsake the mission within companies or governments or churches or whatever, leaders who do that, they're washed away. And what happens is the people follow suit. And the flip is also true. As the people go, so go the leaders. When the masses are living in such a way, then they have for themselves leaders that aren't doing what they ought to be doing. Those things aren't always true. But they are often true. They're, they're true in the world and certainly in civil societies like the one that I, I think we live in a civil society most days, right? Like, like ones that, that we live in where we can vote for leaders. And, and, and so uh, there's this saying that you hear a lot, especially around like election time or whatever, like you get the leaders that you deserve, and that's not, that's not words of, of comfort. <laughs> that's not typically words of encouragement. Um, and it's not so much different than, than the people in ancient Israel. They had God as their king. And you know what they said? They said, yeah, but we want a real king. And he's like, but, I, but I'm your king. And they're like, yeah, but we want, we want one like everybody else has. And he's like, fine, I give you Saul. He's the leader that you deserve. Right? That, that was not a good thing. When that happens. So, so for us, we have, this is not political statements. You can shoot your emails to Scott, right? He would love to talk to you about that. <laughs> you have a presidential or congressional or local elections, or you have fifth grade student council elections, and, and what you find yourself doing is like, are, are these our only options? The indictment is against the leaders of the people here. That's true in the world. These realities are true, and, and they're also true within the church. The context of Hosea is, is miles apart from our reality that we're living in now. It's... it's a thousand years, right? Thousands of years, nearly three thousand years apart, and, and in a context not like ours. The technology was different; everything was different. But the realities are true: that the human heart and the interaction between God and His people—it's it's so much the same today. And and I won't tease out all the technicality today. I, Kind of want to hang out up top. I know things have been a little heavy. And we use a lot of words that are tough to digest in focal passages and whatnot, right? So the technicality of what's going on in chapter 4 is, is there are kind of three layers of charge. Three, accusation, uh, three layers of accusation and the judgment from those. And, and so if we read on, we'll see the charge against the inhabitants all across the land. He's saying, all of Israel is, is broken and wayward from me. And then he, like, he adjusts his scope and his aim towards the priests, the leaders of the people. And, and he says, man, you're no different than all the inhabitants. There, there's no way to even distinguish you from everyone else. And then, and then he, he gazes kind of in between, and he makes charge and judgment against the covenant community, against God's covenant family within Israel. And so there's, there's accusation, and there's consequence, and there's accountability through judgment, and, and so far, as we've been walking through Hosea and in these minor prophets, so much of it is just judgment for sin. And, and there's like little glimmerings of hope. But it, like in this chapter, th- there's, not a there's not a glimmering of hope. The reality of, of, Hosea, of, of Hosea's setting in the mid-700s BC is he's called by God to engage and to confront Hosea. Uh, to warn Israel who's sinning against their vows that they made with God and they're sinning against God and and they're drifting away from him. And so they had been a community that was devoted to him, just like they said that they would be. And then as they grew in their comfort, they became complacent. and And then as they became complacent because they didn't have a lot to worry about, they become unfaithful to the Lord. They begin to trust in other things. And so that's really what this whole book is about. So much is is human nature across all people and all time. We aren't dependent upon our providers, certainly upon the Lord when we are living in comfort and blessing. And and what we see today, and this is kind of the the big idea, is God makes specific accusation and righteous judgment against his faithless bride. That's what's happening today. God makes specific accusation and righteous judgment against his faithless bride. And that is, like, say it louder for the people in the back. That's us, right? It's us time and time again. So this is not good news for his faithless, unloving, ignorant people, top to bottom, all the way through. This is not Good news. And so this chapter starts off with this, uh, with this verse, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, he says this. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has controversy with the inhabitants of the land. And then he, he gives us kind of three anchor points. There's no faithfulness to the Lord. There's no steadfast love for the Lord, and there is no knowledge of God in the land. This is kind of the setup for us. The Lord has controversy. What He's saying is, God's got beef. That's what He's saying. God's got beef with y'all. That's literally, well, maybe not literally, but it's figuratively what he's saying right there. Like, the Lord, I've got controversy with you. Like, I got some beef with you and we have to settle it. And he does that by beginning to engage, by warning and engaging with, uh, with charge and with, with judgment. Now, here's the thing. We all love justice. We all love justice. Like, like everyone loves justice, and you might say, well, like, we need to define, like, right, of course, define the terms, right? We all love justice, except we don't love when we are not in control of the scales of justice. That's, that's the reality of the human heart, like, like this. Picture yourself at a, well, this weekend for, for me or in every day of my life, a, a soccer field or a softball field, right? You can say at gym or whatever, whatever uh, sport it might be, but... What fan or parent doesn't love a game that's ref fairly? Like everybody loves that. Like we we want things to be uh, just in the judgments from the umpire, from the referee. But but like yesterday, the guy's strike call on my daughter's softball game it was terrible. Like and so repeatedly, and so I'm just sitting there like it's cool, and then but eventually it's like this is not cool, right? And so you just start yelling dumb stuff like what is you know and then. You know, Kim and I just elbowing each other. Like, yeah, you crossed the line, you know. Like, you can't say that. (laughs) It's happening. inside, And and what you're saying is, that's not a strike. Like, that's unjust. Like, this can't be. But but here's the thing. We we scream at the ref or the ump or, or, you know, for the bad call or whatever when it's against us. But no one's screaming when he makes the same call for the other team except for the other parents. Like, what if... The, the guy makes a bad call against the other team and our team, we're like, hey, that's not right. Get it right. Get it right, ump. He's like, what? Like, that was in your favor. But, but that's unjust. We don't do that. We want the scales in, in our hands, but here's the thing. There is none more just than the Lord of all creation. He is the seed of, Root of all that's good. He is the definition of right. And we get to live according to his standards of righteousness and goodness and justice. So we see these accusations against God's people no faith, no love no knowledge in their, and it's kind of all interweaved in this entire chapter. And, and what I want to do is just kind of pull a few threads and untangle at kind of a high level. And the first thing is this, the, the charge is that there is no faithfulness among the people. They are non-committal, which I know we can understand. It's the party invitation, or it's the text that you know you should reply to, but you just like you're non-committal and you wait and maybe you forget about it uh, or, or whatever, but we just don't want to commit to the thing. And, and here's the thing, relationships, they are built upon commitment from, from, from top to bottom. No matter what the relationship, it's built on uh, shared upon commitment, whatever that looks like. Co-workers, hey, I'm gonna do my job, you do yours. That's the commitment, right? Uh, brothers and sisters, we're gonna love each other and not you know mistreat each other. Husband, wife, friendships, whatever, it's, it's about commitment, but this one, between God and his people, the commitment is, is broken. And it, and it says something like this, verses 3 through 5. It says that, that all creation is victim to the sin of the world. Look around, it's, it's all broken and, and nothing is as it ought. To be, And he goes on and he says it's, it's swearing and lying and murder and stealing and, and broken marriage. It's, it's adultery. Like everything that you look out and see, it's, it's broken. That's my judgment coming to you. So he says there's languish to all in the land. Everyone's languishing. It's, it's not a good vibe. The animals in the fields, the birds and the fish in the sea, they're, they're taken away. He's talking about his, his judgment to them. And so people might look around and say something like, What is wrong with this place? What is wrong with these people? And if I'm being honest, I say that every day of my life. Sometimes it's about me, but most of the time I, I want the scales of justice in my hand and I might look at the other person and say, What is wrong? What is wrong with people? This is what's wrong with people that we are broken, that we are wayward from the Lord. And what he, what he says of these people is they're blind to see the curses from their sin affecting the, the entire land and all of life that flows from them. And then, then he goes on and, and he speaks to the priest. He says, let no one dispute or no one contest or no one argue or no one object to the charge. My issue is with you, priest my issue is with you spiritual leaders, you stumble by day, and, and he says, even the prophets will drift by night. What he's saying is, is the standard for truth, those that are, that are supposed to be the mouthpiece of God, even, even they will walk blindly, swerving from the way of truth, and then he says this crazy thing, and I will destroy your mother. It's like the, it's like the first mom joke in all of history, written history, but it's not a joke. And, and that sounds like so harsh, but what he's saying is like, your mother Israel won't be around anymore. He's talking about the land. He's talking about the, the, the nationality of the people. And, and again, their context was quite different than ours in the United States. So, so he's saying Israel will, will, be, uh, will be no more. I will destroy her. And then he presses the religious leaders he's, and he says, don't point the finger, don't blame, don't shrink from responsibility. It's not only a they problem, but it's a you problem, oh, priests. I had a, a pastor friend who planted a church a little while, uh, like shortly after the village. And I think he's still my pastor friend. Hey, if you're watching online, uh, we're still good, I hope. So uh, So here's the thing, uh, he, he talked regularly about, like, about his people as if they were, like, the problem with his church, right? And, and he would say things like, uh, well, and here's the thing. The people can be the problem within a local church. <laughs> like, like we see that in scripture. That's, that's a biblical problem. Uh, read the book of Corinthians and like, gosh, they just regularly like, what is wrong with you people? They're saying that a lot. And so that can be the issue. But but, but my friend con- in my friend's context, he kept telling me how like spiritually shallow and how spiritually weak and, and how faithless his people were. And I would say things like, well, like what are you doing and what does it look like to you know, walk with them and discipleship stuff. Like, what are you preaching through? And like, you know, and I would say this, and and this is, you know, sometimes we don't always preach through books of the Bible. We'll do thematic, topical stuff. But I would say like, are you like, are you preaching through like books of the Bible? And he's like, no, man, like they wouldn't, there's no way. Like they couldn't get that if I preach through a book of the Bible. And I'm like, so you just keep doing random, loose in, you know, like how to have a better life or whatever, and that's fine, you know, like certainly the Lord is at work in that stuff, but, but years later, I talked to him again, and it was, this was years later, it was the same thing, man, my people, gosh, yeah, but Michael, like your church is so great, because I'm always telling them how great you all are, right, and, and he's like, but my people, they're just weak and, and you know, shallow in faith and, and faithless and, and whatever, And I was like, yeah, like, man, you know, what's that look like? And what's discipleship look like? And like, who are your leaders? And like, what are you preaching through? Like, you should, are, are you preaching through books of the Bible? Like, no, they wouldn't, like, man, they couldn't. And I'm like, and so in as many words I said to my friend who's still my friend, like your church's issue with shallow faith is not them, it's their pastor, Because he thought that they couldn't handle God's word. And I get it in contextual stuff. Like, that's, that's not just me taking shots. Like, that doesn't make me or Hosea or the Lord unsympathetic. But it means that this, this book is really important. It's really, really important. And, and taking time to preach through Hosea is difficult and takes work or whatever. But we do that because we, we want to treat this whole thing as the full counsel. And we know that it's challenging for some. And we know that some people might come into this church and be like, you know, I just want you to tell me how to live a better life this week. And I would say, man, that's that's great and, and I I want to do that. I hope that we are doing that. But if that's all that you want, you you could probably go find another church that would do that in a way that would meet your needs better. Is that fair? Are are we at, is this okay? Joe, are we good? The idea, the, the point is that from the greatest to the least in the community of God, faithfulness was the vibe. And, and what we'll get to is, is, is that we get to be accountable and we get to, to pursue things. And, and in your life, you lead things, right? Everyone leads something. You lead yourself or family or a group or a team or at work or, or, or whatever it is or, or a church. God cares about the, the character and he cares about his word being the, the fabric foundation of all that we live out of because he cares about the people. And his indictment is, man, let me show you the way to care best for these people because they They deserve it. The people of God, they have forsaken their God and and the bride leaves the groom and the child forsakes the parent. That's the relationship breakdown that's happening and the judgment for for the way that they're doing that is cracks in the foundation of creation and created order and and satisfaction that only comes from the Lord has has taken a backseat to lesser providers that can't compete to the fullness in God alone. We we read on in in verse nine, he says, in it, and it shall be like the people, like priests. I will, I will punish and repay them for their ways and for their deeds. I will give them the wages that they have earned. And, and he says this, they will eat, and they will not be satisfied. It's like you think you're cutting into a steak, and you put it in your mouth, and it dissolves like cotton candy. And I'm not a fan of cotton candy. It's sticky arms, and I know many are, like, but but you just you don't even get to swallow it. It's just gone. Where does it even go? That's what he's saying. He's like you're striving for things and you think that you're eating, but but you're never full. And then and then he 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 goes another way. He Says you play the whore, but you never multiply. So you do the things that bring about fruitfulness, but there is no fruit from your sin. The wayward life isn't the fruitful life because it isn't operating as God has designed. And then he goes on, he says, well, well, why is that? Because they have forsaken God. That's why. That's why they're unfaithful. The word has not been central, which we'll see in, in just a couple minutes, There's no faithfulness in them. And and the second thing is is there is no love within them. Verse 7, it says, The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. And then he says, They feed on the sin of the people. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. They're greedy for their sin, which you might be saying like, what does that even mean? It's actually like, it's actually a pun. It just doesn't land very well. (laughs) Um, The people and the priest are indistinguishable. They're prideful, but what's happening here, they feed on the sin of the people. They're greedy for their sin. They literally feast on and benefit from the sin of the people. Here's the thing. In short, the people would bring sacrifices to the temple and they would burn some of them and there's lots of different types of sin offerings and there would be some left over and the priest who managed the temple they would actually get to eat they would get to eat those leftovers they would get to eat like the the meat that was left over and the indictment here is is you're so consumed with pride that you actually indulge in the sacrifice leftovers of the sin of the people that you're supposed to be leading that's that is a zinger is what that is you get yourself full off of the sin of the people it's classic exploitation is what it is that's that's the charge it's it's those with power and those with authority authority to serve not to domineer. They use their position to benefit from the failure of the people. And to be clear, not everyone with authority is a villain. The world would tell you that they are. That doesn't have to be true. Not everyone with power is just eliminated from having a voice. That's not true. But in this instance, the priests are exploiting their people. If ever love was off the table in this relationship, it's, it's right here. Not only are, are you not caring for and leading and providing and correcting and comforting and redirecting the people back to God, but you're so pride-filled and selfish that you're glad for sin because it fills your belly The, the truth is they, they are filled with love. They are filled with devotion. But the indictment is you're filled with love for yourself and you're completely devoted to yourself. That's the indictment against the priest. But, but the idea of no love and the challenge from God's word to, to, uh, that there is no love in you, it isn't just for priests and it isn't just for people in ancient Israel. No love is, is the chorus of many. It's so easy to live a life of self-love or without loving those around us. Um, Beth Moore, she tweeted this last week. Uh, I I think it will be on the screen. She said, Love God. Love one another. Love your neighbor. Love your enemies. In Christ's meticulous census, that is, in, in all that we count among us, the community exempt from the love of Christians has a population of exactly zero. Now, that's a complicated way of saying this. We get to love God, love one another, love your neighbor, love your enemies. Who is your neighbor? It's, it's those to the left and to the right of you, those that you interact with. And, and the, peop- the person or the people that Christians don't get to love, they don't exist. In fact, it it is exactly this, the ability and to the extent that we love, that is the proof of our legitimacy in Christ, which is just really tough. Like we get to be people that are conformed, right? And, and he's saying, you know me, and you know my love, and you know my grace, and you know my nature, and you know my way by the way that you love one another. We see that throughout the scriptures, that we are called to love as a reflection of the love that's been shown us. And, and loving one another is the easiest part. It's, e- it's easier to love one another. It's easy for me to love you if you love me. But it doesn't end there. How do you engage with your enemies? Is it a long list? Who do you consider your enemy? Is it a person because they personally wrong you? Is it a is it a group? Is it a a, a tribe, if you will? Is it some cultural made up thing? Some faction in your head? Who is it that you struggle to love? The reality is. The way that we love and the who that we love should be impacted by the reality that Christ has loved us first. It should be. When we have hatred inside of us, we get to be reminded that Christ has loved us first while we were unworthy of his life, which he laid down for us. So who do you think about with with hatred in your heart? And, And who do you talk about? And every time you talk about them, it just it just blows up and look, I know there are messy things in life, right? I'm not just saying that this is easy and that there's no consequence to action against one another. I'm not saying any of that at all. I'm just saying that we get to reflect on what happens inside of us and certainly we get to consider what happens outside of us or through us when when we find ourselves unloving. The command to love is, is not Easy, not at all. And and simply put, where there is void of love from you towards others, there is room for Christ to redeem our broken parts. Let's move on. The last thing is knowledge. No knowledge. There's no knowledge of God. And again, this is kind of a thread that has linked all of this stuff together. I want to jump around a little bit. I want to start in verse 6. He says, My people are destroyed. For lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget, will forget your children. It's the generational Israel stuff. You're drifting from me, and you're supposed to be leading these people to me, and you have forgotten me You've forgotten the foundation of of faith, foundation of commitment, foundation of covenant, foundation of our life together. We read on in verse 12, my people inquire of a piece of wood and their walking staff gives them oracles. Oracles are like messages from God. He says, my people are asking pieces of wood for advice. That that is a zinger. Like what what are you doing? And look, we can we can find ourselves in spaces where we are desperate and, and again I use examples like you have a cross necklace and you hold your necklace and you you know you find yourself maybe even like praying to the necklace or something weird like that. But but in this context, it's not just that that they thought the wood did something, but it's, they thought that the wood was an avatar to other gods. They thought that it, it, it opened a way for them. That's what the idolatry was. It opened a way for them to have access to other gods. And so they're talking to wooden objects or created things with their own hands as if they had the ability to offer them wisdom. He goes on, he says, for a spirit of, of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play promiscuous games. And then he goes on, they sacrifice on tops of mountains, and, and they burn offerings in the hills, and, and they do this because it's in the shade, and it's just, all this stuff is just like making shallow the faith. And, and, and being drawn away to, to other gods. The stuff that we've been looking at time and time again. I worked in a, a window factory many years ago, lifetimes ago. And I worked there at midnights and there were no windows in the factory, which is just incredible. But here we are, right? It's the story of my life. Um, I make windows all the day long. I make windows and I can't see out anywhere. These windows, they don't even lead anywhere. Um, so, so I didn't make like the glass part, I just made the frames, and we sent them out in like kind of long pieces, and it was kind of like if you've ever done like a Play-Doh Fun Factory we put the stuff in, you squeeze it out, it comes, it's just like that, but it was a little more complicated. And so it was very complicated, and I worked there for like three and a half years, and I still can't make a window. Like it was like, it was, it was like a real thing, and so you, know, you, you learn, and, and, and so while, there were, uh, while I was there, they, they, hi- they hired a shift supervisor, and he was like, had no experience in the industry, which is fine, like, you know, you can do that. But, but he o- oversaw the midnight crew and we were just the best crew, you can imagine. And so, so they changed some things and they implemented some new standards and processes and testing and, and kind of verifications. And so they kind of divvied up my job and made sure that those that were doing like the more complicated stuff knew what they were doing. And so this guy, my, my boss, had to walk around with a clipboard. And I remember, I was like 20 years old, 21 years old. I just remember thinking, I feel really bad for this guy because this is not a good setup. He was the leader. He was, he was the, the head of production for all of us that worked the 12-hour shift at, at night, right? And he had to go around with a clipboard and he's looking at these drawings that look like Ikea furniture drawings. And he had to like validate these men and women who had been doing this for 20 years on the process and procedure of doing what they know how to do that he can't do, right? Are you getting the set up? Like, so, so he comes around and he's like, I need you to do this thing. Like, this, this part has a problem, I need you to correct it. He didn't know how to correct it. And he's sitting there with a clipboard and I just remember these people looking at him like, I mean, it, it, was, it was just not good. Like, He was not set up for success. There's 100% chance that he doesn't work there anymore, right? Like he couldn't have. Like, he he was not set up to succeed, but I remember even being 20 years old just thinking, this is terrible. It's completely unfair to him because, like, he did not have the knowledge he needed to, to lead the people to whatever it was that they were trying to do, and yet he was being held accountable to that. That's what's happening here. And he's saying of the priests that even you don't have the knowledge of me, how on earth can you lead my people to know me and to to be faithful to me and to love me? That's the indictment against them. See, our walk with God is not, it's not merely about knowledge. Not by a long shot. That's a dark valley to walk in. Like knowledge without action is the epitome of Christian hypocrisy. Like we can't be people who just have really big brains and really small hearts. like th- that is a real problem. But knowledge of God is foundationally important for us to live a life with Him. Uh, we've read these before um, some time ago in another series, but I, I want to want you to look at two quotes. One is from A. W. Tozer, and he says... What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So just sit there, don't read on, stop that, all right? What what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What you think of when you think of God is really, really important. The most important thing, Tozer would say. Whatever you think of when someone says, like, what do you think of when you think of God? That does shape everything. And then C.S. Lewis, he comes along later and he says, by God himself, it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. So he says that is not the most important thing. What you think of when you think of God, no, that... No chance. How he thinks of us, now that's what really matters. Well, what I would say is, is both have valid points, right? We, we can get that. But both support and they kind of give way to what I'm about to say. And, and maybe this is controversial for you. Um, knowledge of God is the engine that drives faithfulness and love. Knowledge of God, it is the engine that drives faithfulness and love. Knowledge informs what we think of, of God, what's true. And knowledge of Him, knowledge of God informs what we think that He thinks of us, which is really, really important. And you may be sitting here and you may think, no, it's the other way around. Like, love is the thing that is the engine for faithfulness and love, or in knowledge. You might say, if I love first, then I can, man, then I can be faithful and I can know him. Or you might say, no, faithfulness, commitment is the key, and if I'm committed, then, then knowledge will come and love will come. But what I'm telling you is, is knowledge is the key. It is the engine that, that breeds faithfulness and love. Because here's the thing, you can be faithful to something false. And it can lead you astray. I think Scott said some time ago, like, you know, he alluded to the, to the believe thing, which you can have that in your house. That's cool. Like, like you go to Hobby Lobby and you get the thing that just says believe, right? And you're like, oh, that's really important. And you hear people like say, man, it's, it's okay. As long as you believe in something. And I would say, you, you're in real bad shape. If you think it's okay just to believe something fervently. It's, it's uninformed faith is is deadly faith. <clears throat> or you may you may go the other way and you may say, Man, I I can love like crazy. I can love everybody and and all the things, but when, when love is the engine, then then we love like crazy in ways that aren't really loving. Turns out that's not how love works. And, and if knowledge isn't the beginning, then there's danger around every bend. If this world uh, where every voice is just deafening, in this world that we live in, knowing what true faithfulness looks like and what true love lives like is the anchor that keeps us from drifting out to sea. It shows us what faithfulness is like. Knowing tr- what, what's true shows us what love lives like. But here's the thing. Like no one is opposed to knowledge. No one is opposed to the pursuit of knowledge. No one in this room. Like no no one is. Like like I could say a thousand things but like you know fantasy football and some of you are like you know right now you're really just thinking about what's happening in 3 hours in a game that you're not even playing. Right? But but you know what's going on, or or maybe it's just sport stats in general, or you're like stock market, that's the thing, or like Kardashian spats, like you know all of them, right? I don't even know what that means. Hollywood court trials. Man, I just can't get enough, right? Swipe, swipe, swipe. Hair care secrets. How do I defy aging? Organizational tips, pet behavior tips, pop culture, serial killer and true crime stats and cases. We can chat. I swim in those seas, right? (laughs) Rocket League tutorials. I love knowledge. I love watching people watch people do things. We are like the best at that. computer coding or car specs. Like, I could go on and on and on. But you get the idea that that everyone knows a lot about something. And if you don't know what your thirst for knowledge is driving you towards, the algorithm does. (laughs) Man, but, but we may be well opposed or we may be lazy when it comes to to pursuing the knowledge of God. And that's the essence of, of what is at play here is, is knowledge is a worthy pursuit and we can pursue all kinds of things for the glory of God or for, for the glory of man, for, for selfish gain or, or for, for God's kingdom to gain. You can study medicine to be a big deal and make a lot of money. Or you can study medicine to, to cure cancer or you can, you can do whatever it is. You can study electricity And you can do that in a way that literally exists to to earn a paycheck and to give people light. That's not a bad thing. You can know a lot about, about, I talked to a guy this week, he moved to Thailand, he's planting a church. And his plan is to learn the Thai language for two years. So for six hours a day, he's just studying the language. And I don't even know what this means, but he's like, a lot of people know it, you know, like... uh, where they can speak it but I'm starting the hard way. I'm I'm in for the long haul. Like I'm starting with writing. I want to learn to write and And so he's using his pursuit of knowledge but by God's grace to to build the kingdom. Man. I'm not saying at all that that Theological precision or or big words or systematic categories of faith or or studying the writings of old dead guys or being able to, to keep up with strangers about doctrinal nuance on Twitter. I'm I'm not that's not what I'm inviting you into. That's not that's not the knowledge that I'm talking about. But but we see this in Second Peter. The people were in a similar place, but they were they were kind of scattered about. And they were struggling to be faithful to the Lord and to one another. And he says this, Second Peter chapter 3. He says, dear friends, this is now the second letter that I've written. And in both letters, this is what I want to do. I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder. He said, I want to remind you of this truth so that you can recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through the apostles. He said, I want this to be in the, I'm writing this letter so that this is in the forefront of your mind and your heart and your hands and all of your life. Therefore, dear friends, Since you know this in advance, be on guard. He's he's saying, like, life is really tough, and you're going to be drawn to swerve away from me. Know this in advance. Heed this warning. Be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people. Don't drift from the Lord and and fall from your own stable position in your faith. This This is his encouragement. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, how do I live in a world that's not like this one? How do I remain faithful to the Lord and, and to this covenant family? How, how do I do that? Grow in the grace, in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the end of eternity. And there's a bunch more stuff. We'll throw some things on the screen in just a second. But this is, this is what I want to encourage you with. We get to redeem our time. We live in a, a soft, it's difficult, but a soft culture that has so much time we don't have to spend all the time making food we don't have to spend all the time doing the things that we do we're we're like oh i think a four you know four day work week is and then we just have we have so much like comfort time and and my challenge to you is man watch netflix scroll tiktok run play sports, do whatever it is that you do, learn to fly drones or learn to take really good photos. Like do, do things, pursue knowledge, right? But, but as you do those things, be mindful of how whatever it is that you're doing can be redeemed to allow you to pursue the knowledge of God and to build his kingdom. Here's what I mean. Snapchat was created and targeted to middle-aged men to have side projects that they didn't want a paper trail for you with me that's that's who it was targeted towards that's who it was pitched to that's why it was created so that politicians could have affairs on their spouses they didn't know that a slew of 13-year-old people in California would be like, hey, this is, hey, this is, hey, and then, and then it's just, it's kind of a big deal. You don't have to use Snapchat that way. I encourage you not to. Lots of dumb stuff. Parents, kids, that kid don't go home and be like, see, even Michael said, like, you should let me have it. I know I'm eight, but like, you should let, I didn't say that. That's another day. But my point is we get to redeem the things that God has given us. And and we get to redeem the things that we do to grow in knowledge. So, man, spend time watching shows or reading books or or scrolling or whatever. Follow some people that can build you up, right? Use social media apps not just to tear people down, but to like do a a Bible study with your friends. (laughs) If you hang out a lot, then hang out and, and make sure that, man, open this book at one point. Invite someone into that. Look at your life. Examine what you do and say, how can I use this to grow in grace and knowledge? So much more stuff. The band can come on up. Can you hit that gospel slide, Ryan? Man, I want to close with this. This is like our prayer today. How about this? We need we respond in a, a bunch of ways. We can sit right where we are. Can, Stand up, sing, pray. There's a bench over there you can pray at. There's a tree over there where someone would love to pray with you at. This is the hope that we have in a a text like this. God's people have a habit of being faithless and uncommitted. But Christ is faithful. He is committed as the mission of his uh, life on earth. God's people are drawn to to, to being unloving, filled with self-love, hurting others for selfish gain, but Christ is loving to the point of laying down his life as humble servant for his enemies. God's people, man, we don't pursue the knowledge of God, but Christ is the knowledge of God, the word, the exact imprint of the fullness of God made flesh. And what we get to do is we get to build rhythms and patterns into our life that we might behold these truths. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the warning that you have for the people in, in Israel so long ago. And, and would you just let that same warning sit with us today? Would you show us that, that you do charge and you indict and you judge, but by your grace we are set free by the work of Jesus alone. God, we love you and we need you. Thank you for your love for us. Would you let us be people who are faithful, people who are loving beyond any standard that this world brings into us. And God, that we might pursue you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name.